Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Oh God, you are here. And we are here, Lord. May we be here together. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Okay, let's begin with a question. Who here likes parties? Just a few of you? Come on now. Who here likes parties? Yeah, okay, great. Let me ask you this question. If you were to throw a dinner party or some kind of party and you could invite any person, living or dead, who would be on your list? Mozart? (laughs) Maya Angelou? Mary Oliver, right? Maybe uh, Martin Luther King Jr.? Or some of you, Keith Richards, right? Um, Or maybe Steve Jobs or Bruce Lee. Who would be on your list of your party? Who would be on your guest list? Okay, one person that you might not want to invite to your party is Jesus. All right, (laughs) don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I've thought about this. You know, I thought, I'll invite Jesus. I don't know if you want to invite Jesus to your party. And here's right. I mean, I love Jesus. I admire Jesus. Jesus is my everything. But when Jesus shows up at parties, um, he kind of makes the guests a little uncomfortable, right? <laughs> uh, makes them une- uneasy. Makes them feel a little nervous, right? No, it's true. I mean, the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, people like to invite Jesus to their parties, And Jesus seemed to like parties, so he received and he accepted many dinner invitations. But those dinner parties usually ended up with someone or some group of people being insulted, provoked, or embarrassed, right? I mean, one time, this is true, one time there was a woman who had a kind of a questionable reputation. She got down in the middle of dinner and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. She dried them in a very provocative manner with her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with perfume all under the table. Now, that made people around him a little bit skeptical. And he often interrupted the meal. Is that the meal? You know, you've worked all day long or you spent a lot of money and had this thing catered, right? And you're excited. And right in the middle of dinner, and all your guests are there, Jesus gets up and does something you're not supposed to do, right? He'll heal somebody, right? Like right in the middle of dinner. (laughs) And he's the kind of guy that would hang out with his friends, and they would be at the party, and he wouldn't wash his hands, you know? And he had this table when his, like a lot of riffraff with him, right? And the truth is, when Jesus is at a party... Sometimes Jesus drank a little bit more than his enemies considered respectable. This is true. 
And Jesus happened to be blunt, um, sometimes even what appeared to be rude, and said things that you just really wish he wouldn't have said. It's like your Uncle Bob that shows up at the, right? You're like, "Uh uh-oh, Bob's talking, you know, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, Bob, I hope he doesn't embarrass me, right? But Jesus did that. He said things that no one wanted to hear. And that's exactly where our gospel meets us today. This is where Jesus, as you all remember the sermon from last week and the text from last week, where there was a woman that had been bent over for 18 years. And of course, it's the Sabbath day, and Jesus does what? He does something you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. He essentially sets this woman free, right? He heals her. And today, he, uh, the text picks up, um, um, before, our text picks up right after this. He is at a dinner party on the Sabbath, in a house of a religious leader, right? A very respectable religious leader, a devout religious leader, right? It's kind of like maybe a bishop or something, right? I mean, he had the ring. I mean, yeah. And, and, and so it was, it was a religious leader. And he had just healed a man who had this ab, uh, abnormal swelling in his body. And Luke tells us that the religious leader were watching every move of Jesus. Now, the reason they were watching Jesus might be that not so much that they were intrigued by Jesus because he did some really cool things, and they're like, wow, I want to get like turned on to what this guy's doing. No, more than likely they were watching him to see if he did something that could implicate him in a way that they could persecute him. And so they were watching him closely. And the funny thing is, as Jesus is being watched, you know, he's, he knows everybody at the party is like checking him out, right? They're, what's he up to? What's he going to do, right? And Jesus notices and observes them. And he observes how these guests kind of elbow their way in to the places of honor in order not to be put in last place, right? It's like if you come to church and you're fighting over the front rows. Well, I mean, (laughs) sorry about that. Sorry about that. And you're fighting over the back row seats, right? Right. Everyone was kind of maneuvering. Now, you have to understand something. Israel, um, this community, this culture, was a very uh, honor-shame culture. And so um, what people thought of you mattered. And so these interactions were characterized by competition for status and recognition, something that never happens in the United States. And the meal table, the meal table was closely tied to one's social standing. So proximity matters. The pecking order reflected the position of the one held at the table. So the closer you were to the host, the closer you were to the head of the table, the more honor that you had. And so people were jockeying for that. I mean, and, and, and they were wanting position. And here's another thing. If you were the host, um, you invite only those people that can enhance your status, right? You only want those people there that have this um, reputation or a position in culture that can make you more elite. And so Jesus, right in the middle of the party, makes all the guests there uncomfortable. He stands up and he says to this, he kind of calls in the questioning, this kind of mindset, this type of thinking. Jesus upsets the logic of the world, 
right? Which gives great importance to merit and honors, entitlement and privileges. Jesus says to the guest, hey, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call out in front of everybody. Hey, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man or this woman. Now, red-faced, embarrassed, you'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. Now, Jesus isn't telling them something that they didn't know, okay? I mean, these were devout um, Jews. Um, he wasn't telling something they didn't know or they'd never heard before because they were familiar with the, the, the uh, wisdom texts like from Proverbs or um, with the text that we just read from um, the Apocrypha, Sirach. They knew and they had heard that the beginning of human pride is to forsake the Lord. The heart has withdrawn from its master. See, they were trying to identify themselves and find their value and their worth and their place in society apart from God. He was telling them that they were the ones who were not following the word of God, even though they thought they had it mastered. And he calls into question, Jesus is not just telling us how to throw a party and where to sit. This is not what he's really doing. He's calling into question the entire uh, hierarchy of that society, that, enti- that entire mindset that says, I am what I have, I am where I sit, I am where other people think of me, right? He's calling in the question, all of that. And considering that a healing that had just taken place on this day, another Sabbath day, the table of which Jesus speaks is not so much where they're actually eating. What Jesus is really referring to is what we could say is God's party or God's banquet table, or Jesus referred to it as the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world, it's the humble ones. It's the humble one who actually sits at the head of the table. That doesn't sell well, not then and not now. You've never gone to a bookstore or a library that said, here's how you get ahead in life. Sit at the last place, right? Or you eat last, right? I mean, that's just not the way it works. And so Jesus was calling all of that into, he's turning it upside down. He's turning the tables around, if you will. See, because the Pharisees, um, this group of this religious sect, were certain and sure of their place at God's table, they believed that their self-declared, self-righteous, and devotion to the law led them to believe that they held a valued place in God's work on earth. In other words, they weren't like those Episcopalians, right? <laughs> you know? No, they presumed a superior position to the outcast and the unwanted, those people that are therefore unloved and forgotten, and they believed that they possessed the spiritual truth that determined that determined who could sit at God's table. However, Jesus, in telling them this, 
He's claiming that both the Sabbath and the banquet table belong to God, right? And it's God who determines who is to be honored and blessed. Because after all, it's God's party. It's God's party. And there's no pecking order. There's no social order in God's kingdom, right? We're all there based on the invitation of the host, of the king. And what makes me worthy to be at the table of the king is not me, but it's the king. And it's who the king claims that I am. See, our worth and the worth of others is not based on anything, not based on what I drive, not based on your dress size, not based on your zip code or your IQ or your academic accomplishments or your professional titles. Our worth is determined not by your political affiliation or anything else. Your worth and your value is determined by one thing and one thing only, and that is God, the one who created us. And so Jesus turns the tables, if you will, on our priorities, our hierarchies, and our values. He knows that there is no end to who's in and who's out. Once we start playing that game, turn on your television and watch. You'll see people playing who's in and who's out with people all the time. And God knows that this anxious scramble, this competition for social position will lead us to nothing more than anxiety, competitiveness, more division, and ultimately more devastation. And so Jesus essentially, right there at the party, renounces pretentiousness and arrogance and that kind of mindset, right? He invites his listeners to place themselves before God in an attitude of humility and gratitude, grounded only in the grace and mercy of God alone. Because it is grace that offers us acceptance without regard to whether we are acceptable. I'm going to say that again. It is grace, God's one-way unmerited love and favor that offers us acceptance without regard to whether we're acceptable. And that is the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. Then Jesus turns his attention to the host can you imagine? All your friends are sitting there in silence, right? You know, you're like, dude, I wish you wouldn't have said that, right? <laughs> right? And then he looks at you, and he starts talking about maybe your hummus or whatever. He's like, this is store-bought hummus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Or the shrimp. Phew, that's kind of mm, not prepared well, right? It's kind of soggy, right? You're like, man, you're going to like, Right? And you're the host, and he calls you out in front of everyone. And then he says to the post, and he says, look, when you give a party, when you have a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what he's saying is, you're in a club here, right, where you guys are, it's a prid, what is it called? Prid quo. Quid. Pro quo. Thank you. Um, 
all this, you know, you give, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, you know, we're on the inner circle. Uh-uh. He says, because everybody's repaying you, there's something in it for everyone here. He goes, the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, they can't pay you back. There's nothing in it other than grace and love and mercy. So Jesus essentially rewrites the guest list right in front of the host. He tells him who's not there. Can you imagine? You see why you don't want to invite Jesus to one of your parties? But here's the truth. Jesus' entire life is centered on inviting those who neither expect nor deserve such an invitation into the presence of God. The shamed ones, the unacceptable, the ones that we claim that are disposable, those that are rejected by culture and society are actually the ones that are embraced by God. So you know your grandmother's china that you've been, you got stored and it's really nice and you don't want the kids messing with it and all that? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus says... Lay that fine china out. Get out that really fine china that you've been stored away and it's been a hundred years in your family and get that fine china out and invite those people, the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the nobodies. Invite them and serve them with your fine china. For Jesus, see, it's not about the food or about the occasion that makes the feast. See, in God's mind, in God's eyes, it's all about the company. It's the company that makes the party. Because for Jesus, for God, it's all about relationship. We were created for relationship, to be in relation with all. And so Jesus instructs us to treat people, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, with the same sense of love and honor and respect and appreciation that you have for your friends. Same love that you have for your close neighbors. Same ones you have for your relatives. Because in God's mind, in His kingdom, at God's party, see, it's incomplete without them. And then Jesus says, doing this, you'll be blessed. This is where the real blessing comes. And as I think about this, I ask to ask, is this not another way of perhaps describing the grace that we receive from God? I mean, are we seriously, in some place, in some way, are we not the poor who receive everything from the grace of Jesus Christ that makes us rich? As Paul says, for he became poor for our sake that we may be rich. Instead of class or money or any other system defining us, in God's kingdom, at God's party, we are defined purely, purely by the gift of the life and the gift of reconciliation to God and one another by one thing and one thing only. Jesus Christ, God's one-way love toward us, grace, mercy, forgiveness, 
It's not about us earning it. See, when God was making up his list, his guest list for his party, and he wanted to decide, hey, who am I going to share all this with? He was extravagant, and he was generous, and he was inviting the most unlikely people to his party, people that you would never expect to be on his list, namely you and me. Because, see, at God's party, the party would truly be incomplete without us. Because God's love, folks, does not seek value. God's love does not seek value. God's love creates it. See, we're not loved because we have value We are valued because we are loved. I'll say that again. We are not loved because we're valued. We are valued because we are loved. Our value is a gift, not an achievement. And this is why I say every single Sunday, you are loved, we are loved with a love that we didn't earn And therefore can never lose. Because this is the love of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. For God loved the world. The whole world. Right? And God's banquet table has absolute, unlimited seating. All of them, well, in the Episcopal Church, all of them are in the back row. But the rest of them are all front row seats, right? I mean, their first-class seats, all of them at God's table as a place and a seat of honor because we're all there by one thing and one thing only, and that's the invitation of the king. And this is why this table is a party table. That's what that is. We got it decorated, right? Just like you would, like, happy 50th or whatever, and balloons and everything. This is God's party table. That's what this is. It's a banquet. It's a feast. It's a party. Every time we gather, we come together to share in this celebration of life that's given to us by God. And all are invited to participate. And all are welcome. It's not our worthiness. It's His. And He makes us worthy. For life, our life with God is truly an invitation to a party. Now, the question is, will we show up? Will we show up? If you do, bring some good dip. But that's, no, but will we show up? And if you decide that you're going to show up and you want to come to God's party, be sure to bring a friend. And better yet, be sure to bring a stranger because at God's party would be incomplete without them. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, 
remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.